The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 4, this evening we will continue our study on the church and we're considering worship and we have several weeks of this topic and our text tonight is John chapter 4 and we read a large portion of this chapter in the last message and that was weeks and weeks ago and I hope you remember some of it. I will go back through a little bit of it. But I want to concentrate on just two of the verses that we have here this evening, verses 23 and verse 24 in John chapter 4, where Jesus said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The highest priority for Christians is worship. And you might wonder, why would I say that? And the reason that I do, because you know very well, because we teach it so many times, that our chief purpose is to glorify God, and the way that we glorify God is through worship. Now, when Jesus talked to this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, he gave her some very important information about worshiping. He said, the Father seeks true worshipers. Now, I thought about that statement, and if we consider the work of the Father in salvation, we learn from John chapter 6, verse 44, that the Bible says there, Jesus said that the Father must drag people to him. Now, that seems a little bit contrary to our ideas of free will, or most people's idea of free will, but in that passage, The the Word of God says that no one can come to the Father except the Father draws him. And that word, draw, is literally drag in the original language. And so this is what God does. He draws people. This is what the Father does. He draws people to him in order to make them worshipers. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so the ones that Jesus seeks and the one that the Father seeks and the ones that are drawn and brought to salvation in Christ, are brought to him for that purpose, and that is to worship him. Then, of course, if I mention Father and Son, I also have to mention the Holy Spirit, because he works in salvation. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts the heart. He's the one that reproves the world of sin and of righteousness. And so who are those that are able to worship? Well, it's those whose hearts have been convicted, And they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been made righteous before God. They are able to come into his presence, and they are the true worshipers. Now, in this study on worship, we'll develop a little bit more of that theme, how that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity has this purpose in dealing with lost sinners, and that is to make worshipers of them. So this is the reason that God has created man. Uh, God didn't need man for any other purpose. Uh, God didn't create us because he was lonely. God is all in all. God is supremely happy in himself, and so he didn't need man in order to make him complete. 
I think we went over that in the last message. There isn't anything that we can do to add to God. And so if God should have a creature and a creation, then all of it must be for that purpose. It is the recognition of God's glory. And how would we know that? Well, one of the ways that we know is that before man was created, the angels were created, and they had the function of glorifying God. At that time, there was no man, of course. There were, there were no other creatures but the angels. And they worshipped God. They were created for worship. They still do worship him. So that would tell us that the sum of all of God's activity in the universe is geared towards this. It's towards his worship. Now, in the message recently, one of the messages recently, I had a, the opportunity to make this particular point, and it's not new to you, that salvation from hell is a wonderful gift that God has given us. None of us would deny it's, it's great that we're saved from hell. We thank the Lord for that. But that's not God's primary purpose in saving us. It wasn't to get us out of hell. It wasn't to give us a home in heaven. The main thing, the overarching thing, is this, that God saved us so that he could receive glory. That's what our salvation is for. And so when we get to heaven, that's what we will do. We'll glorify God always. And I hope that this is not a strange thought to you, but that is God's intention for you right now as well. And that is for you always to worship him, always to give him the glory. And if you think that coming to church, and if you think being a Christian or doing all of this has any other motivation than that, then you have the wrong idea of what salvation is. I think the saddest, most warped view of the purpose of God is what's being taught today in the prosperity gospel, what's been taught in the self-esteem gospel, and what's been taught in this man-centered gospel of Arminianism. All of that are travesties against God's holy purposes. Worship and only worship is the priority of God. Now notice once again uh, this point that's made in the text verses. The Father seeks worshipers, and those worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the last time that we talked about it, that was a few weeks ago, and I made two very important points about this. First of all, that worship is regulated by truth. And I want to expand on that just a little bit from what we learned in the last message, that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to worship God. Uh, Before we get into the end or get to the end of the first three books of the Old Testament, uh, God has already put in place a full-blown system of rules and regulations that govern worship. And God was very strict about keeping the letter of the law. And we demonstrated that to you in the things that God did in the Old Testament to people that didn't worship him in the right way. We found out that God killed people for ignoring his prescription for worship. And we might well imagine that he would because false worship attacks the holiness of God. Now today... We don't have those same ceremonial rites. We don't go through all the things that the Jews did and uh, carrying out all of those ceremonies. But we ought not to fool ourselves into thinking that God is not still very concerned about the way that we worship him. I mean, even after the Old Testament was finished and after, the, after Christ had died and after all those ceremonial rites and rituals were taken away so that we don't have to do those any longer, still God was concerned about what was going on in the New Testament with worship. And remember, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells us there in the 11th chapter when Paul relates to the church about the Lord's Supper, that there it tells us that God took the lives of people that did not worship him in the right way in the Lord's Supper. So that was 
that those were people that were guilty of false worship. Now, if God's highest priority is worship, then whether we're talking about Old Testament or New Testament, it will always remain that way. And that's because God is an immutable God. His purposes never changes. God is always the the same. And so if his purpose is worship, it always will be worship. And God will always be first wherever God is. And God is everywhere. And so really, if you wanted to categorize it, all sin falls into this one big category. Sin is when you fail to give God the glory that he deserves. Sin is when you go against God's holiness by disobeying his holy law. And so thus, when Adam sinned, that was the first act of false worship. And so you might remember that the next time that you think about entering into some sort of sin. You know, I've been sobered up a lot of times. I don't mean sobered up from alcohol, but I mean taught to, thought to reason about this and think about it very, very deeply or to have it really impressed upon my mind that when I sin against God, I'm guilty of worshiping him falsely. And that really ought to be on our minds at all of the time. Well, everybody in the world worships. One way or another, people worship. Worship is either false or it's true worship. And Jesus came to make that differentiation. He came to make true worshipers out of false worshipers. And so by the time that he entered into the world and he spoke to this Samaritan woman, both the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim and the Jews at the temple in Jerusalem, both of them were no longer or weren't worshiping God in the right way. So as we learned this morning, what Jesus did to defend the holiness of God was to go into the temple... He went to the temple and he purged it in order that there might be true worship. Now, he didn't complete that, that job. He threw those money changers and the others out, as we learned this morning. And he won't complete that job until the millennial kingdom comes. But he came to make true worshipers out of false worshipers. And so what he did before uh, that generation was over, God destroyed the temple that was in Jerusalem. And that's because there was no true worship that was found there. Jesus said not one stone would be left standing upon another. And that's what happens when people don't worship in truth. Now, as I said, uh, Jesus will correct this. Uh, When he comes again, there will be a new temple that's built in Jerusalem. And the worship there, well, it will be a magnificent temple. And the worship there is going to be outstanding That happens during the millennium, and the whole world will recognize Jesus as the true Messiah and the King. You know, I was reading about that just the other day in the book of Isaiah, and I encourage you when you really ought to read the Old Testament and think about it. But I was reading about uh, this in Isaiah the other day, and just thinking about what that worship is going to be like when Jesus comes back, how magnificent it will be, what that temple will be like, and how everything will be perfectly according, according to God's will. Just reading about that caused goosebumps to rise up on my flesh as, as I just thought about that wonderful thought. So what's, what's going to happen is the pretend fakery that we have in the modern church today that degrades the holiness of God with a false worship, all of that will be gone. And all eyes will be fixed upon the king and on the throne of his majesty. And all the duties of worship are carried out to the letter. And all of that will point to Jesus Christ. And none of it will be done because of the selfishness of the flesh like it is today. So worship is regulated by truth. 
Secondly, worship requires the preaching of the Word. And I thought that was important for me to emphasize in the last message, and perhaps it could have been a little bit out of place in that particular message, but I wanted to talk about it then, and I do want to talk about it again tonight. Uh, I want to talk about preaching, because there seems to be, in some people's minds, just a gross misunderstanding of what I do when I come up here to preach the Word of God, and why that I do this. Now, in the church, the proclamation of God's Word is the supreme form of worship. The music program is not worship time. Now, that may aid worship, it might hinder worship, it could do either one. All the other activities that we do, they have a part of worship, they're a function of it. But whatever we do in the church is to get us to this particular part where we hear the Word of God. What does God have to say to you? And if you're not ready to open your ears and to hear what God's Word says, then you're not ready for worship. Now, there are some churches that have just hours and hours, it seems like, of repetitious choruses and and swaying and clapping of hands and singing and all the things that they do. And then when it comes down to the exposition of God's Word, they have precious or little time to give to it. The Bible... In, in many churches, is just mostly ignored in order to tell stories and to give man's philosophies, to give political speeches, to give object lessons. But that's not worship. Not, not according to how God wants to be worshipped. Worship is according to truth, and so worship must be by the word of God. And what did Jesus say? He said, thy word is truth. Now, I have to be honest with you that I'm a little bit sensitive to this particular issue right at the moment. And that's because I've, I've heard some criticisms that messages that I bring to you give a lot of information, but they don't really give you a gut reaction about how you can feel better all the time. And, and I have to confess that I, I find it very difficult to think that preaching expository sermons and explaining what God's Word says is not what God would have me to do. And I can't understand how that there are some people who would say, well, you're preaching, you know, I've never heard those things that you're talking about. I've never knew they were in the Bible. I never knew the Bible said that. I never heard about those doctrines. So please tell us more so we'll know more of the Word of God. I don't understand how we have that reaction. And then on that we have a completely opposite reaction where somebody else says, we don't need to hear that. That doesn't really make us feel all that good. And so... I've heard it said that knowledge puffs up, and that's what I'm doing. I'm puffed up because of the knowledge that I tried to give you of God's Word. And a person who says that, I think, has already shown ignorance of Scripture by misusing Paul's intent when he said that knowledge puffs up. You see, there are, there are a hundred churches that are in this area that will make you feel good. And there are many people that come in here and they stay for just a few minutes or so, and they walk right back out of the door because the atmosphere is not right for them. The atmosphere is not what makes them feel good. Well, they're not interested in worshiping God in spirit and truth because if they were, then the primary thing that they would want to get to is what is said about God's Word. What's being taught from the pulpit about God's Word? And so if you don't want to get to the Word, then you're not qualified to worship God. Now, is it wrong to feel good? No, it's not wrong to feel good. Is it wrong to be happy? No, it's not wrong to be happy. But the thing that ought to make you the happiest is God's Word. This is what the psalmist said. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. That's what the psalmist says about the word of God, the importance of God's word. What is it that makes us here in Berean unique? Well, I hope it's the word. The word is all of these things to us. The word is perfect. The word is wise. The word rejoices the heart. The word enlightens the eyes. It's righteous. It's pure. It's more desired than gold. The word warns us and it rewards us. How could you want more than that? The word of God should be everything to us. But there aren't many true worshipers. Paul found that to be true in Acts chapter 17. He spent some time in Thessalonica. And if you know the story there, you know that Paul didn't find many worshipers in Thessalonica. In fact, they wanted to drive him out of town. So the next thing he did was to go to Berea. I'm glad somebody knew that. The next place he went to was Berea. And what did he find with the Bereans? He found that they loved the Scriptures. He found that they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Now, the Thessalonians, they were happy with what they'd already heard. They were happy with what they had. And so they spent no time trying to find out truths of Scripture. They were content. But Paul showed the Bereans more about God's Word. He deepened their knowledge of what God's Word meant, and they were glad to hear more of the Word of God. And so that's what we've tried to do here for the past 11 years. I think this is what God would have us to do. I've tried to move you beyond just the milk of the Word. But there are people that like milk, and they want to stay in milk. They think they've grown up, and milk has made them strong, and now they're qualified to criticize. And so what happens to them? They're not here. They're not worshiping. Well, we should move on from that, I think. We need to understand what it means to worship. Now, for some people, worship is an ethereal concept. I mean, they they think they know what it is, and they may get close to what it is, but they don't really know what worship is. So let's just take a minute to define worship. Thirdly, worship defined. What is worship? Well, reducing it to the simplest terms, and it doesn't really have to be difficult at all, but the simplest terms, here it is. Worship is honor and adoration directed to God. Now, that's a very simple definition, but we still have to ask, how do we do this? And some, again, believe that we do this in a music program. I mean, it's not uncommon that you hear about worship leaders and a worship team and a worship band. And that that whole thing, I mean, my stomach is already upset with what I've been going through. But those kinds of things really upset me when I think about, well, that's where people think worship is. Now, I have to tell you about somebody I know, somebody I know very well, that his main goal in life was to be a worship leader. He wanted to play music, and he was in some of the largest church, some of the many large churches around the country as a worship leader. But while he was worshiping and leading people in worship, he was able at times to lay out of church. 
Sometimes he would go and have a few drinks and get a little bit tipsy. Sometimes he would go to places where and do some things that most of you would be appalled with, that a Christian would do such things. But that same guy could go to church, even to a false church, and get up and worship. And he would lead the congregation in worship. Now, do you think there's something wrong with that picture? How, how can you do that? How do you honor and adore God? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? This is what we need to know. What do we do that honors and adores God? Do we sing to him? And do we tell him how much that we love him? Well, at the same time, we have a heart that's black as coal. I think there are a lot of people that try that. And I think there are many people that come into churches wherever they are, and they sing their hearts out, it seems like, but their hearts are really not right with God. The rest of the week doesn't show anything that they're really a Christian. But they call that worship, and I guess I would call it the worship fix. They come to Sunday services to get their fix like a junkie, and it lasts for a little while. Through the week it wears off, and they have to come back and get another one. And there are many people that worship that way. Well, Jesus confronted this cold, corrupted worship when he dealt with the Pharisees. He said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And I hope that this is not true of members of Berean, that people come here with all the junk that they've done throughout the week, They come with unrepentant hearts. They come in with sin still on them so that they couldn't honestly look up into the face of God. They they aren't righteous and holy as God would have them to be, and so they come and they sing and they pray with us and they may even, maybe even teach. And they teach as falsely as the Pharisees of Jesus' times or those false prophets of Jeremiah's time. You can't come that way and worship God. Now, let's look at this for just a few minutes. What do we need to worship? Well, the complaint that Jesus had with the woman at the well was that the worship at Mount Gerizim and the worship at Mount Zion were both unacceptable. So if we're going to worship God, then we must find what is acceptable. I mean, wouldn't we all agree with that? If we're going to worship him, it has to be something that's acceptable to him. So what is it that is acceptable to God? What is this acceptable worship? Well, we find it in three different areas. First of all, acceptable worship is outward. Now, there's a critical statement that's made in Scripture concerning outward worship, and it has to do with the way that you treat other people. Now, you've heard me often, and we do this quite, or we have do it, do it quite often, and we rehearse the second greatest commandment, and we get into the 22nd chapter of Matthew, we'll learn the first and second commandment again, and the, that second greatest commandment is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and listen to what Paul says in Romans 14 and in the 11th verse. He said, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, is there anybody here who wouldn't think that bowing your knees to the holy God and confessing him and confessing to him, is there anybody here who would think that is not worship? Oh, I think we would all agree that has something to do with worship. 
But do you know what Paul is discussing in this passage? Now, he says, as I live, saith the Lord, this is a quotation, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Well, what is that, what is it that he has under consideration when he says those things? Well, actually, he has treatment of weaker brothers in view, That's what he has in mind as he wrote that scripture. And he's telling them to be very careful not to put a stumbling block in the way of a weaker Christian. He's teaching the people that they're always to be thinking of the other person, always watching out for other people, always careful for the other person. Now listen to what he says in the 18th verse. He says, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And so when you treat your brother as you should, that is acceptable to God. Now, one of the things that we know about God is he's compassionate, isn't he? That's one of the great examples that he left us was his compassion. And so that tells us that worship begins before you ever come into the doors of the church building. Perhaps that's one of the huge misunderstandings of people about worship. Jesus said to this woman... There'll come a time when you won't worship at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And he said that because worship is not confined to a particular place. You worship where you are. And when you have Christ on your mind as you treat your brother in kindness and in tenderness and you're considerate of your brother, that means you are worshiping God. That's acceptable. Verse 18 says, our worship must be acceptable. And so when we serve Christ in that way, we are worshiping God. Now, here's another interesting thought about this. For four months, we've been studying evangelism. We've been going through outreach training. And uh, we've tried to get the church stirred up with evangelism. Well, let's listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, 16. He says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Ministering the gospel of God. That means being evangelistic. Evangelism is worship. That is acceptable to God. But I think all of us would have to admit that we don't worship God very well in that way. Now, there are many members of our church that heard that we were doing the outreach training on Wednesday evenings, and despite the constant pleas that were made that all of the church should be involved in it, there were people who said, no, 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 uh, we're not interested in that. We don't really need that. And so they didn't worship. Evangelism is outward worship. And then there's another important aspect of outward worship, and that concerns sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many sacrifices. I mean, sacrifice is always linked to worship, even to false worship. There were, there were sacrifices. I think you're aware of that. But when you come into the New Testament, when the Bible talks about sacrifice there, it's not talking about killing animals and those kinds of things, but it's talking about it's a, it's a figurative thing, and it's talking about killing self, sacrificing self. Now, if you would, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4. And here in Philippians 4, Paul is talking about an offering. The Philippians had sent an offering to him, and that was carried to him by Epaphroditus, who was a companion of Paul's. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 18, Paul said, But I have all and abound, I am full... 
having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, I want you to notice the Old Testament language there. You see the symbolic picture that he gives us? In the Old Testament, they made what was called sweet-smelling sacrifices. And Paul says here that your offering is a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And notice he says it is an acceptable sacrifice. So that's telling us that when we give, that is also worship. When you help others that are needy, what are you doing? You're worshiping God. And we ought to feel the same kind of conviction about this particular area. What have we given to God? What have we sacrificed? You can't worship God when your tithes and your offerings are still in your pocket. So what is acceptable worship? Loving and sharing. And loving and sharing always takes the focus off of self. I know there are many ministries today that want you to focus on self, think about self, that's what they're concerned about, and that's what that whole feel-good thing of worship is all about. How do you feel about self? What do you think about that? But the Bible is telling us here that worship is forgetting about self. It's about loving and sharing with others, and that is the outward dimension of worship. Now next, acceptable worship is inward Acceptable worship is connected to your behavior. Now, what is it that Jesus said rules behavior? It's the heart, isn't it? That, isn't that what he said? Your heart is what dictates what kind of person that you are. So the evidence of what you are is by what has happened in your heart, and your heart is always going to show up in your behavior. Now, see if this doesn't make sense. Who can worship God but those that have a clean heart? And you must have a clean heart, shouldn't you? I mean, you have to have that. You must be justified. No one can ever approach God without being justified. So that's what happens when you're justified. Inwardly, you're given a clean heart. This is what the psalmist said. Who shall ascend into the holy hill of the Lord? Now, remember, he's talking about worshiping God at the temple. Who shall ascend into the, or at the tabernacle in this case, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, what happens when you have a clean heart? Well, that's when you're able to walk with the Lord. Well, walking with the Lord, well, listen to this interesting statement about walking with the Lord by Paul in Ephesians 5. He said, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And listen to verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And so do you see what happens when you walk in goodness and righteousness and truth? It is acceptable to the Lord. Being acceptable to God, that's what worship is. That's what we're looking for. How can we be acceptable to God? Well, you honor him when you are acceptable to him. Now, what what does every parent want? Every parent wants a child that speaks well of him. We all desire that. And that's what God wants. A child that is pleasing, an acceptable child. Listen to another verse from Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I exhort, therefore, 
that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So what's acceptable to God? A peaceable life, one that's lived in godliness and honesty. So do you have to come into the building to worship? No. When your heart is right, when you're holy, when you walk with God, when you are acceptable to him, you are worshiping God. Now, let's wrap it up with this third aspect of the definition of worship, and that is acceptable worship is upward. Worship must have God as its focus. I mean, that has to be it. God must be the focus. I mean, he's the one who is central. He's the one who has saved us to worship him. Christ came to get us to worship God. And it's through Christ that we are able to look upward to God. Hebrews 13 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now here we find the upward thrust of worship, which is praise, and that praise, when we are honoring God, distills into our thanksgiving. Now the Psalms are considered our greatest examples of of worship, and what do you find in the Psalms? Continually you find thanksgiving and praise. Now again, do you have to get into the building to do that? No, you start outside. You start outside with the people that you're around. You start by making worship an everyday practice in your life. Now, by the time that you come in here, if you've done that, if your whole life is spent in these things that I've just told you about, and you're worshiping God in these things, then when you get in here, then you're not going to be able to help shouting it out. I mean, you have something that has to get out of you when you come to church. Maybe that's why our worship seems a little bit dour at times because we haven't really been worshiping God on the outside before we get in here. And if we haven't been doing out there, we can't do it in here. It's not acceptable to God unless it's done every day in our lives. So when you get in here, I'll just put it to you in Kentucky terms, you ought to be ready to bust a gut. I mean, you ought to be ready to do this. Blurt out your praise to the Lord. So let's don't be confused about this. Worship is not really a hard thing for us to understand. And maybe this is why uh, Christians come into church on a Sunday morning and the only worship they can give is just a small little packet of it and a little pipsqueak of worship gets out and they're done. They're through at that point. There's nothing left to give. All their worship is spent up and used up. It's all gone. And consequently, you don't see them back on Sunday night because there just isn't any more worship to give. Don't let, don't let that happen to you. Let's, let's don't let it happen to what I consider what we have tonight is, you know, this is the core group of Berean Baptist Church. I mean, you're the stick-to-it people. And I'm not criticizing others who aren't here tonight. I'm just saying that I know when I come on Sunday night and I see God's people here, I know that we've got a group that really wants to hear God's word. And that's what we need to do. We need to be those kinds of people. So outward and inward and upward, out there and in here, let's worship God. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we uh, come to you tonight. We have difficulty 
uh, trying to get out everything that needs to be said about this subject. I mean, we, we could spend all of our time every day, every single day, talking about how to worship you. And really what we learn from your word is that every word that we read, everything that we do, everything that honors you is worship. And we're fulfilling the purpose of our lives when we have you as our focus and we're looking to you all the time, every single day of our lives, we can be worshiping you. And so when we come into the church, it shouldn't be difficult for us at all to sing the praises and give the thanksgiving because we come here and we just let it out as we gather together as your people. Lord, I just pray that all the members of Brian Baptist Church would love the word enough and, and love you enough that they would live for you, be holy to you, be consecrated to you, and then come to the church to let out those praises of thanksgiving. Bless our church, Lord. We thank you for each and every person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.